So well, this class is on angels and demons, a fun topic. Did you know that we rarely think about angels or demons as we go through the day? And there's an obvious reason. Uh, how many times during the day do you think about the uh, uh, whatever they are that brings messages to your cell phone in your pocket? It's obviously invisible because there's nothing connected to your phone and it comes from some tower. You believe it because you experience it, but you never think about it. What they look like, what they do, these radio waves or uh, phone waves or uh, whatever they are. I don't know anything about them, but we don't think about it. It never enters our head. We just talk on the phone and don't think about the source, where it comes from, where the tower is. Sometimes we do. If we get cut off, we'll start thinking about it a little bit. But most of the time, we just take it for granted because we don't see them. And so what we don't see, what we don't hear, we tend to just not think about. And so we don't see angels, we don't see demons, so we rarely ever think about them. But the fact is, when you read through the Bible from cover to cover and you take all the references to angels and demons, that's a big deal. It's a big deal in our life. Major, major big deal. And the more we understand about the rules, the better we're going to do. So, uh, I used to dairy farm, and my dad and I farmed together, and uh, once a month we would get a report in the mail that had every dairy in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho ranked from top to bottom on the basis of their average production per cow. Uh, Tester came in once a month, unannounced, weighed the milk of every cow's butterfat sample, and from that then this sheet came out with all the dairies ranked. We would go about every other month to the number one dairy on the list if we hadn't been there before, Dad and I, we would drive there and ask for a tour. And we would tour their dairy, ask questions, what's, what's working, what isn't working. And then on the way home, Dad would say, what one thing are we going to change or work on or improve? Just one. And so we'd talk about it, and I'd write it down, and we'd figure out what it was. And then he would say this. Dairy farming, you succeed or you fail, because you follow the rules. You follow the rules. And so there's just principles. Some people got a lot of milk out of their cows. Some got hardly any. Some people grow tomatoes and they get a lot of tomatoes. Other people, they die halfway through the summer. Life illustrates in every arena of life that there are principles and guidelines and rules and the person who knows them succeeds. The person who doesn't fails. Years ago when I first started pastoring, we were... Uh, living in a rented house and the farm next to us was peppermint and uh, one of the people in our church called me and said do you know that farmer next to you I said yeah we've met he's the uh, the number one peppermint oil producer in the valley I said I'm not surprised looking at his field she said and uh, the the person on the phone said that really bothers me I said why is that because he's a pagan doesn't believe in Jesus we believe in Jesus and we're going broke Now, I didn't want to say, well, you don't have to be a Christian to know the rules on how to grow good peppermint. He follows them, you don't. It really doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not. If you don't follow the rules, you're going to be in trouble. There's rules for growing peppermint. There's rules for uh, raising dairy cows. There's rules for growing tomatoes. There's rules in every area of life principles. All of life illustrates that. The simple law of gravity 
illustrates that. God created the world physically with laws and rules that holds everything together. Stars and moons, they all work together, and science is discovering what those are. So in the spiritual realm, as we go through this series, we're going to discover that there are principles or rules. And they're not hard to know. This is one that you all heard before when uh, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger or you will give the devil a foothold in your life. You will give him legal jurisdiction, window, as it were, access to you because you got angry, didn't take care of it before the sun went down. So what is that? That's a rule. That's a principle. It's a guideline. So I can keep it or break it. You can keep it or break it. But the result of not knowing it, not putting it into practice, not following it, is that we then will have some trouble in our life because of the devil and his demons having access legal jurisdiction in our life. So we're going to do kind of an introduction uh, class this morning. And one nice thing about an introductory class is as soon as I look at the clock and see it's time to quit, I stop right there because I got enough material here, I think, to go three hours. So let me read to you. Uh, this verse is not on the overhead for PowerPoint people. Uh, this will be a kind of a key verse we'll look at a lot. Hebrews t- uh, t- uh, thirteen two. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because some people have entertained angels without knowing it. So if we ask ourselves the question, what all can I get out of that verse? One of them is is that sometimes angels walk around, look just like you, me, a policeman, a hitchhiker, look just like a person. When our kids were growing up, we only watched certain programs, and one of the ones we watched with them was Touched by an Angel. That's an old one. Some of you may have seen it before, some not. We'd watch it, and we'd talk about angels. One time we picked up, picked up a hitchhiker in our Volkswagen van, and, and we took him to a point. Uh, their car broke down. We took him to a mechanic, and, and after we left, one of the kids says, Dad, Dad. I said, what? I think he was an angel. Why do you say that? I don't know. I just kind of think he was an angel. Because we'd gone over that verse. Might have been. It's a good thing we picked him up, huh? So, angels are unseen all around us, everywhere. If we could see now, in the unseen realm, we could probably see dozens, maybe hundreds of angels all around us. But also, they show up in our life as people. Look just like you, just look just like me. And so, let me ask you this question. If angels can look like people, can demons look like people? I was in Sierra Leone, West Africa, and I asked one of the pastors, I said, you ever see demons here? He said, oh, yeah, all the time. Really? Yeah. So if you see one, could you point point them out to me? He said, sure. So a little bit later, he says, Pastor D, there's a demon. I looked over there. It was just a, a man. I said, where? That guy right there. He looks like a man to me. Well, he might look like a man to you, but he's a demon masquerading as a man. I said, how do you know that? Well, because I know what he does and what he tries to start and what he creates. I thought, huh, I never thought of that. I wonder what will happen if I walk up and touch him. I wonder what will happen if I walk up and shake his hand, look in his eyes and say, God bless you. 
maybe he'll disappear. I don't know. I, I didn't do it. Uh, I was a little nervous. I wasn't sure what would happen. So, but it was a thought that I had never, ever once thought about entire, until that point was demons can show up all around us, possibly. Here's a parable. We're going to look at it some more as one that a lot of people read, just go right through it, never think about it. Matthew 13, 36. Then he, that's Jesus, left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the terrors. Now, he had just gotten done telling four parables right in a row. Bang, 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 bang. And the parable of the terrors was the last. But when they said, explain, that was the one they zeroed in on. Either they didn't get it or it intrigued them or something. Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. The one who sows the good seed is Jesus. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. That's me. I'm a son of the kingdom. I'm going to heaven. You? Good seed are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. The terrors are the sons of the devil. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. What does that mean? The one who sowed them. Now Jesus sowed the good seed and the good seed is us. The evil sowed the bad seed. So who's that? My neighbor? The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so also will be at the end of the age. These uh, crop, wheat, and tares are separated. And so it appears to me, and again, we'll look at this, because as you gather all the verses and collect them, you begin to get insight on it. But it begins with a question. Who are the sons of the evil one? And what does it mean to get sowed? Uh, by the evil one as Jesus sowed the good seed and the result is us. Just something for you to think about. We're not going to talk about it today. Later. Uh, here's another one. Genesis 6.1. It came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God, sons of God, who's that? saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose then the lord said my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh nevertheless his days shall be 120 years the nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of god came into the daughters of men they bore children to them these were the mighty men goliath and others that were Big old dudes would make great football players who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Lots of debate over this. Sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children, giants. And so, to me, it's pretty clear as you gather the verses and the other information that the sons of God are demons. Or angels that went bad. And there's lots of other passages that it talks about that. And it's fairly easy from my perspective to prove that to be true. There are many who don't 
believe that to be true and would say that's the offspring of Seth as compared to the offspring of Cain. Lots of explanations. But again, I don't know how you can come up with some of the other information that follows this if you don't come to the point that that was a supernatural being. So, how'd that happen? I mean, if you're going to teach a sex education class, question you might have in the class as you go through it. So how do demons and people have sex? Boy, you got me. Well, it appears to me that they would have to become like people. And the result was bad dudes. And the flood came because of that. And the, but it's obvious that that was, again, happening after the flood because you have individuals like Goliath around. Um, not many people talk about this fact, but I wonder if some of those linebackers. <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. We'll get to it later on. Hebrews 1.13, another thought. Uh, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not, this is speaking of angels, are they not all, all ministering spirits sent out? We'll see that almost every reference to angels, that word is said, sent out, to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. To render service to those who will inherit salvation. That's me. Angels are sent out to serve me. Psalms 91, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. He, God, will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. This is a prophecy concerning Jesus, the Messiah, and the gospels is stated as fulfillment. But it was also a statement made about David, therefore also us. He will give his angels charge concerning me to guard me in all my ways. They'll bear me up in their hands so that I don't strike my foot against a stone. That means that only God's will will happen as he protects and guards. He says, then goes on and says, you will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion, the serpent. You will trample down all words for demons. Romans 16, 17, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, out of their own app. And, but out of their own appetites and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the un- unsuspecting for the report of your obedience has reached all therefore I am rejoicing over you but I want you to be wise in what is good innocent in what is evil the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet that's a word spoken to the church at Rome the God of Satan will soon crush Satan under your feet um, and so who are those dudes that are causing all these problems. <clears throat> I don't know. We'll see. We'll figure it out. So, you know, that was all intro stuff, just stuff we're going to look at in the next weeks coming ahead, just to uh, salt the oats, as it were. If you know some people that aren't in a discipleship class, invite them, tell them to come. Number one in your notes angels are God's servants who are doing much of his work on this earth at his command. They are his servants doing his work. On this earth at his command. Angels are created beings. They're not God. At some point they had a beginning created by God. I often wonder. If I happen to meet an angel. How much personality would they have? I wonder if they have a basic temperament type. I wonder if they 
would like fishing. I mean, if they're happy or grumpy or what are, what are these dudes like anyway? I just kind of wonder about that because someday we'll be hanging out with them. Uh, and I'm curious, would I spend much time having a conversation with them? Revelation 7, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. The elders, that's the church, were in heaven at this point in the scene and the angels are standing around. They fell on their faces before the throne. That's the angels and the elders and the four living creatures worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And then the same scene in Revelation 5, and I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. How many is that? I remember when I was a kid, we were trying to impress each other with our math skills and somebody would say hundreds and someone would say thousands and somebody would say millions and somebody would say billions and then what's after billions? Zillions and Cabillions, that's myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. That's a huge number that nobody can really count. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. Imagine what that sounds like. Myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels in the church and the four living creatures all worshiping God at the same time and they're singing that song. Wow, I wonder if Ben Hickenlooper is going to be leading it. Luke 119, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. They have names. I wonder if there's any angels named D. I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I've been sent. You always see that. Angels are sent by God. I've been sent to speak to you. Revelation 10:1. I saw another strong and different uh, angel, uh, a strong so, you know, back when I was in my 20s, I was like Arnie Schwarzenegger. You just have to take my word for it. Bucking bales and farming. I'm no longer like that. I have a difficult time getting in the car anymore. We vary in strength and height and weight. Here's a strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud. The rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. He had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea, his left on the land. Now, he's a big dude. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And so the angels are different. There's strong ones, there's small ones, there's big ones, and there's powerful ones. Psalm 103, verse 20, just as a general statement, bless the Lord, you his angel, mighty in strength, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. So that's what they do. Daniel 7, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the ancient of days took his seat. That's God the Father. Daniel's having a vision his vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. His wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat. Who's that? The court. The books were opened. What books? 
I don't know. We'll look at it. We'll figure it out. Luke 16, 22. Now it came about that the poor man died. He was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. When you die and go to heaven, you get escorted, carried by angels. Matthew 24, 31. He was... He will send forth his angels in a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Daniel 6.22, My God sent his angels, sent, sent his angels, and shut the lion's mouths. They've not harmed me. So that's what they do. They're ministering servants, and we each have angels uh, that take care of us. Malachi 28.2, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. I lived on Midway Island. Some of you know Midway Island. It's the Battle of Midway. It's the uh, Hawaiian Islands toward the end, a little bitty island, 640 acres. Uh, it was, uh, I walked around it almost every morning looking for those Japanese glass uh, fish balls because some guy from Hawaii would fly in and buy them from me, the ones I found. So every morning I'd walk around there. We were there about a year and a half on Midway Island. You know what Midway Island's famous for? Goonie birds. Goonie birds, there were billions and zillions and myriads and myriads of them. They're everywhere. Now, goonie birds would go out to sea and stay out to sea for like three months, four months, flying around, landing. They never saw the land. And then they would come in to lay their eggs. And so they hadn't landed on land for four months. And what they would then do when they started to land on land, they thought it was water. And so they would hit the land and go with a kapang and roll over. So did you know there's some angels that haven't figured out how to land when they come to planet Earth? Yeah, here's one of them. A severe earthquake had occurred. What was that? Well, this angel just came down with a thud, bump, and rolled over when he landed. That's just conjecture. You know, the worst thing on Midway about Goonie Birds was there was no cars on the island. There was a fire truck and a, and a car for the guy that was the chief a person in charge on the island was a Navy base. And so you rode bicycles everywhere you went. And when those goonie birds were flying along, they weren't real careful, and they'd hit you right in the back. They're big as a goose. And if you're on a bicycle and you hit by a goonie bird, you have an awesome wreck. And uh, you probably come up with bloody body parts. And uh, so you always want to keep track of where the goonie birds were when you're riding your bicycle. Uh, 114, are they not? Oh, I gave you that one. Uh, well, we'll read it again so you can see it on the overhead. Are they not all ministering spirits? This is angels sent, sent, sent by God to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That's me. Luke 15:10. in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, it's hard to tell whether it's the angels that are rejoicing or it's God that's rejoicing. It's in the presence of the angels. I kind of think there's a big old party and everybody's rejoicing. And so the question was, do angels have emotions? Well, it looks like they get happy. They're intricately involved in my life and in me coming to Jesus and me growing, you as well. So they're very... uh, uh, they like to see what's going on in our life, and they rejoice when things go well when we come to Jesus. Psalm 91.11, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. I, I read that to you before, but we'll look at To guard you in all your ways, to guard you in all your ways, they will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against a stone. Matthew 4.11, then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now, this is Jesus. He's here as a man. The devil's been tempting him. 
And so he gives up, he goes away, and it says an angel came, began to minister to Jesus. What's that mean? What did he do, the angel? And does he do that to us? Whatever Jesus experienced, he experienced everything that we do, we also experience. And again in Luke 22, and he, Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down, began to pray, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. How do you do that? What do you do? Did it to Jesus? Does he do it to you? Me? I think so. We'll see some more on that. Revelation 7. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Bottom line, ever watch the news? Now, if you could see the angels pushing the clouds in, the high pressure, the low pressure, stopping the wind, they're running the show. Even the weather. Exodus 23:20. I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you. Revelation 19, 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds. We used to live out in Talbot before we lived where we do now. And we lived in a rented house. And the house was up on a hill right next to the Ankeny Game Refuge. Now, the cool thing about it was on foggy mornings when the geese would take off, they would fly low. And I could walk out on the front deck of our house and I could do some goose calls. And they would come in with a wing set and I'd shoot them. And I'd send, Sam was this little boy then, and I'd say, Sam, go get my goose. He was my dog. And he'd come bringing in the goose uh, from the refuge. And so the kids learned that they left around Easter time. Then they came back around Thanksgiving time. Where'd they go? Told him where they went, looked at some books. How do they know? Well, the world will say it's Mother Nature. But... Saying to all the birds, I was an angel. Now, if we could see them, there was an angel out there with some sticks. Time to go north. Really? It looks like it to me. I think angels control a whole lot more in the world than we realize that people say, ah, that's just Mother Nature. Matthew 18.10, see that that you do not despise one of these little ones. Say to you that their angels... In heaven, continually, behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. Ever get on an airplane? Who's the first ones on? Mothers with little children. And then they let uh, military guys go on. Then they have first class. Then they have group A and group B and group C and group D and group... Don't you hate it when you're group F? And there's no place left to put your suitcase. And so, uh, I was with a guy and... He was with me. And they said, okay, time to load. And they start with the first number. He gets up there and gets in line. I said, well, what are you doing? I don't know. They get up there. They won't kick me out of line. You ever see anybody kicked out of line and getting on an airplane? They don't even look at what group you're on. They just scan your name and say, hi, Mr. D. 
get on the plane. He took cuts. I couldn't believe it. And he got on the plane. So my angel is standing in line, getting ready to get his orders from God and taking care of me. And there's an angel that's going to take cuts. That's what it says right there. They continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. So when they go to get orders, they don't get in the back of the line. They get to the front. These little children, Jesus said, they're important to God. Their angels have direct access to me. Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. We talked about that one, Genesis 28, 12. He's, he had a dream. Jacob, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with his top reaching to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. Now, that's today. God is sending angels to take care of you and me and to do his will in the world, to create weather, to shoot the birds north, to do all this stuff. And they're ascending and descending all the time continually. And we don't have a clue because we can't see them most of the time. Zechariah 1.9, then I said, my Lord, what are these? The angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. They see police cars drive by if you're in town, you know, periodically they have a route to go. So, to patrol the earth, to take care of it. Acts 5.18, they laid hands on the apostles, put them in a public jail. But an angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of the prison. How did he do that? Taking them out, he said, go your way, stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. Okay, that's just some quick verses to... Uh, uh, let's see, what t- time do we quit? Oh, I'm, I'm good. Got lots of time. Somebody yell at me if I, when I get close to being quit in time. Number two in your notes, the demons of Satan are resisting and fighting against the angels of God. The demons of Satan are resisting and fighting against the angels of God. So we're going to talk a lot about demons, where they come from, what they do, what they look like, how they smell. (laughs) That's a joke. So I guess I got to tell you when I tell a joke, huh? Revelation 12, 7, there was war in heaven. Now the word heaven is used a variety of ways in the Bible. One way is that's where God lives. Uh, Another way is talking about Outer, what we would call outer space. The other one, which is most common, is this air that we breathe, this place around the earth, uh, heaven. It's just earth, heaven. And so these angels are flying all around us. Um, Romans twelve seven. there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. So if we could see, we would see that's exactly what's happening right here. There's a war going on. We talk about spiritual warfare. It's the war between demons and angels that are ha- that's happening all the time, all around us. Daniel 10, 20, then he, this is Gabriel, said to Daniel, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. 
Demons are given names. One of the names that they're given are the prince of Persia, prince of... Did you know that one of the places where demons show up in hordes are government? You're thinking, I knew that. I knew that. So this one, prince of Persia, he was in charge of that country. In fact, probably was controlling the king of that country, the prince of Persia. And so Gabriel says, to fight so I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece, another demon. Now, these are big demons, powerful demons, is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth, yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces. Wow, is that an interesting statement? There is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces, except Michael, another angel. So why is he fighting these demons by himself? No one stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael. Number three, Satan and his demons have a great deal of influence and power in this world. A lot more people believe in the devil than believe in God. It seems funny, doesn't it? reason is because evil, sin, is all around us. And even people that aren't real believers in God believe that there's got to be a source for that. There's got to be a source for that. Luke 4, 5, and he, the devil, led him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. It has been handed over to me. All the kingdoms of the world has been handed over to me. Second Timothy 2.26, that they may come. Uh, Paul's giving counsel to Timothy on how to deal with cranky, mean people that cause problems in the church. He says, he gives them some instructions, and he says, this is what will happen. They may come to their senses. They might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil Snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. Do you know who he's talking about right there? People in the church. People in the church. Paul's talking to Timothy and he's dealing with division and stuff and problems. And he says, if you get a person that kind of argues with you and and debates with you and creates a problem, here's how you talk to them. Perhaps God will deliver them from the snare of the devil. They've been held captive to do his will. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? You ever think, I wonder how could I be? We had a bull on the dairy. He was mean. He'd stomp you as soon as he'd look at you. And he had a ring in his nose and he had a chain that was about 12 to 18 inches long. And we had a long stick with a hook on it. And when we were getting to the barn and he was in there, we would reach up with that hook and get a hold of his chain on his nose. Do you know what he became? Instant. He became a kitty cat. Tame, docile. Wherever I wanted him to go, he went. Once you got him by the chain with the ring in his nose, he was no longer mean. You didn't have to fear him any longer. 
because the chain was in his nose. So I wonder how many people in our church have a ring in their nose put there by the devil and he leads them around wherever he wants. They create problems, they create division, they introduce false teaching because the devil is controlling their life. Second Corinthians 4, 4, in whose case the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that's your neighbor, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You're trying to persuade someone to come to church to believe the gospel. Your biggest battle is not against them, their will. It's against the devil who has blinded them. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God. Did you know, I, I hear this all the time. Sometimes I just want to scream. People say, I put on the full armor of God this morning. I want to say, did you know that that passage in Ephesians 6 is all plural? All plural. Now, in the Greek, you can tell it easy because they have a different word for you all and you. Uh, But it's translated you because we don't have a you all in the English language. You have to put it there. And he says, put on the full armor of God. That's not you. That's you all. And you do it together. As a church, as a group, you put on the armor of God. It's not something I do and you do. It's not like putting on my shirt this morning. It's something that we formally do in our battle against the evil one. Put on the full armor of God that you, that's you all, may stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our, see there it is, our plural struggle, that's us together, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, that is in the air around us. That's where they are. Number four, the ones winning in the war determine to a great extent the outcome of the affairs and events of those living on this world. So the war is happening over our heads. Who's winning? Well, just look and see what happens. If the demons are winning, then evil begins to win on this planet. If the angels are winning, then the church and the Christians and God's will is done on the planet. So it's not hard to tell who's winning at any given time as you look around. Numbers chapter 20, verse 16. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, sent an angel to see I got ahead of myself. I skipped one. Sorry about that. I didn't read to you Exodus 17. This is the best. This is the key passage in our whole study on angels and demons. Exodus 17. Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Amalek. That's the sons of the evil one. Tomorrow I will station myself, Moses talking, on top of the hill. With the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him. And he fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Came about when Moses held his hand up. That Israel prevailed. Why? I read a commentary where it says. Moses was sort of like a cheerleader. When the soldiers saw his up there with the hands. They just got excited and enthused. And then they fought harder. But Moses' hands went down, they got kind of discouraged and they lost their willpower and they didn't fight as much. Sort of like a good coach. That doesn't sound very reasonable, does it? It Sounds kind of stupid to me. Came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. When he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands were heavy. Then he took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. 
Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So that's kind of a strange story, isn't it? Two armies fighting. One wins, then the other wins. Another back and forth, back and forth. What determines? Moses' hands up or down? So that's a perfect picture of prayer. What determines whether the angels are winning or whether the demons are winning? Whether we have our hands in the air or not. Whether we're praying. Five, when we pray, God commissions his angels to accomplish his will. So God is sending, 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 sending. Why does he send? He has linked that to us. When we pray, he sends. When we don't pray, he doesn't send. So Michael said, I'm the only one fighting against this prince and this other one that's joining him. So, how would we like it if there's just one angel in this whole geographical area? I'd like to have more than that. Numbers 20, 16. But when we cried out to the Lord, notice that when, 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 when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel. When we cried out to God, he heard our voice and sent an angel. That's the way it worked in the book of Numbers with the nation of Israel. That's the way it works now. Daniel 10, and he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have been sent. I have been sent, God sent. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. He said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. Interesting thing is that Daniel had been praying for 21 days when this scene was happened. He said, when you first started praying, I was sent. Man, that's a slow angel. 21 days? He better get a new set of wings. Why did it take 21 days? Well, because he had to fight the whole way there. Daniel 9, 21, when I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, an angel whom I had seen in the previous version, came to me in my extreme weariness. That's because he had been praying for 21 days and fasting about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction, talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued and I've come. When we pray, God sends. How much? One angel, ten angels, a hundred angels, a thousand angels, myriads of myriads of angels. It depends how much we pray. You see, the problem with our prayer life is we tend to think it's like getting a candy bar out of a vending machine at the airport. We put in our dollar and we punch the button. There it is. Or going to the, the, the restaurant and getting a menu and saying, I'll take prime rib, medium rare, please. We pray, we simply make a request. God either does or he doesn't. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a force. When we pray, God sends. The more we pray, the more he sends. And sometimes we think, ah, you know, I prayed. What'd you pray for, 60 seconds? What'd you get from that? Daniel prayed 21 days and got two angels. Acts 10, 3, about the ninth hour of of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it? He said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. 
Basically saying, I'm here because you prayed. Acts 12, 7. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. A light shone in the cell. He struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, get up quickly. His chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, gird yourself, put on your sandals. He did so. He said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out, continued to follow. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for, it, for them by itself. They went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent, sent, that's what he always does, sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. That's the power of the church. Many were gathered together and were praying. What happened? God sent an angel. It would be nice if he could send two. Isaiah 37, 15, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, uh, then jumping to verse 21, the, uh, Isaiah the son of Amos sent word to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me, about Sennacherib, king of Israel, then jumping into verse 36, Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 of the camp of the Assyrians. Angels kill people. This one angel killed 185,000. Why? Because Hezekiah prayed. And when Hezekiah prayed, God sent an angel. Number six, when we pray, God energizes his angels to overcome all the resistance to the accomplishment of God's will. He sends and he energizes Daniel ten thirteen the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days, was withstanding me. That's the demon was fighting against me 21 days. Then behold, Michael, that's another angel, one of the chief princes came to help me, to help me. Why? Daniel kept praying. Revelations 12, 7, there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. They were not strong enough. There was no longer a place found for them in heaven. That's the end of the age, but that fighting is going on all the time around us. There's going to come a point at which the angels win. Psalms 35, 1, I can contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Psalms 35, 5, let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Number seven, the failure to pray creates a spiritual energy crisis that allows the kingdom of evil to prevail in our world. So again, prayer is not a, please pass the potatoes. I'd like primary prayer, please. It's a force. There's a war going on over our heads. Angels win, demons win. Angels win, demons win. What determines that? The amount of prayer that is happening by the church. God sends his angels because we pray. The more we pray, the more he sends. The longer we pray, the more he sends. When we pray, he energizes, strengthens his angels. The more we pray, the more strength they get. And then they win. I said this the other night. Um, Friday night at the communion service, you study revival historically in the Christian church, and it was everyone began with a season of prayer. And as you read about those who wrote about those revivals, they all say the same thing. There seemed to be a tipping point, a point at which, like a teeter-totter. You know, we put the fattest person in this room on the teeter-totter. So we vote on who that is. 
and put them down the teeter totter. And we have a box at this end, and we put a rock in the box. And someone else puts a rock in the box. That's our prayers. Another one puts a rock in the box. Somebody else puts a rock on the box. And then pretty soon, poop, there's enough. And we might say, whoa, that person that put that rock in, he must be powerful. No, he just was one of the many. But there was a point at which there was enough, and it happened. So what will it take to bring revival to Jefferson and Oregon in the United States? A volume of prayer on the basis of the church. And when that point is reached, then God will send enough and the angels will be winning and revival will come. But the problem is that we don't pray. At least not the kind of praying that Daniel did. Our prayers are rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Little prayer here, little prayer there. We think this little prayer all kind of fixes everything. Those little token prayers accomplish nothing. So God wants our time. He wants our sacrifice. And so you pray by yourself. You pray with your wife. You pray with your family. And you pray with your church. The power is the church. All of our praying works. Daniel prayed by himself. But now it's the church that has been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What we bind on earth will be bound in the heavens. That's this area. What we loose on earth will be loosed in the heavens. That's this area. Angels, demons are bound and loosed on the basis of the church. To the church has been the key, given the key of authority. We exercise that through prayer, but we don't have enough time. And so we don't pray much. And we look around and we blame it on the Democrats. It's not the Democrats, it's the church. It's the church. And so, when we pray, and we pray a lot, the angels are sent and they're energized and the kingdom of light wins over the heads of our life and we sh- it shows up. It shows up. All righty, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the gift, the power, the authority that you've given us. In prayer, I pray that we would understand that and not neglect this calling, responsibility that we have. And it doesn't make any difference, Lord, who we are, where we are, what we do. Our prayers matter. We're part of the whole scheme of things in the sense of the volume of praying that prompts you to send and commission and energize your angels who war and fight constantly against the kingdom of darkness. They're sent by you to protect us, to guard us, to lead us, to energize us, and they fight against the kingdom of darkness. I pray that we will pray much in our own private life, in our families, and as a church. And as a result of that, the gospel will spread, and your name will be glorified in our world. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So invite somebody that you know didn't show up. and. Uh, We'll learn some more in the days ahead. Thanks for coming.